Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't But You Do. Stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We're a motivational storytelling and training company where we provide enabling tools to empower you to do what most people don't. Our mission is very simple yet very powerful. We want to move others to do through our stories, move others to take action. I am absolutely honored to have a remarkable gentleman today as guest on the podcast. I'm gonna read a little bit about what he has done and you will obviously and very quickly know why I asked him to be on the podcast. His name is Richie Shane, founder and CEO of the world's greatest vacations. He has a great background with regard to luxury travel marketing. He's been in the industry for several years. Started off by launching a company called Treasure Chest, and it was based on a foundation of knowledge from what he had learned from Madison Avenue and doing strategic planning for American Express Travel, Transworld Airlines, as well as packaged goods market research and management. So now he has a phenomenal company, and I need to kind of share how I first met Richie. A couple of weeks ago, I happened to be in Aspen presenting to a group. I had a little bit of free time, so I wanted to go out and just explore the area and watch the skiers come down. And uh, I ran into Richie. He was celebrating something very special, which we will get to. Took some photographs of him on the mountain. And after then, I just knew that there was a reason why we're able to meet. So as this podcast goes, and before we hit record, Richie and I were talking about most people don't. And he is a person that does. He is a giver. He donates his time. He sets a great example for others. He's fit, he's healthy, he is balanced. He is incredibly successful. So Richie, I'm gonna stop right there and just say welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Barton. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Happy to be here. Yeah, and I, I really want to understand, and this is what's great for our listeners, to learn about growing up and the things that influenced you to be you. So yes, being the CEO and founder of a very successful company, as well as doing some other things. Can you tell us about growing up? Was it in New York? Was it in the city? Tell us about growing up, Richie. Oh, sure. So I'm a native New Yorker, grew up on Long Island, and um Family and athletics were my uh, go-to as a, a kid growing up in New York. I was a uh, competitive wrestler. I uh, played semi-pro baseball and um, have a wonderful, loving family. Yeah, but brothers and sisters? I'm the middle of three men. Um, I have a brother in Aspen, a brother in Dallas, and uh my dad's in South Florida and uh, recently lost my mom. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Sorry for the loss of your mother. Um, were you always a leader growing up? Were you always a leader? So you said that you were right in wrestling and pre played pro semi baseball. Were you always a leader? I was always do the right thing, make it happen type of person. Let's use wrestling as an example yes. uh, I wasn't the most gifted athlete but I was a hard-working athlete 
So what I love about wrestling, and I use it today with running, is it's mano on mano. So somebody has to win. It's going to be the one who works the hardest. So when the team was told to run across country, maybe two or three miles, I ran five or six miles because the guy, if I run more than the guy I'm going to be wrestling against, I'm going to win. So that's always been my attitude is um, somebody has to win. Make sure it's you in anything. Yeah, in anything. Um, so getting back to the leader perspective, were you a captain on any of these teams? Were you vocal? Were you outspoken? Tell us about high school. What kind of kid were you in high school? I, um, I think, no, I wasn't the captain, but I was the person that people looked at to set an example of, um, I guess I was a quiet leader. Um, the high school basketball coach, some friends of mine were on the basketball team, and they said, they told me something that he said to them during halftime of a game once. He said to the team, look at Shane. He doesn't have the greatest athletic ability in the world, but he works harder than anybody else and wins because of that. So you guys work harder and you will win. So I guess in a way I was a leader by example, not yeah. by shouting or anything like that, but. Yeah, um, a, qui a quiet leader. Yeah, and it's not often that someone will accuse me of being quiet, um, <laughs> but I did what I had to do and people respected that. Yeah, and so growing up, who were some of the major influencers in your life? So was it your, were your, your brothers, uncles, uh, aunts, friends, mothers, father, mother, father? Like who were some of the people that you think helped to define you? you you've been mentioning that you're a hard worker, Right, a quiet leader and very competitive. And I know you're very passionate. We'll get to that soon. But do you think someone taught you those qualities growing up? Um, sure. So again, a very close-knit, very loving family. Um, my folks were married 64 years, for example. So wow. um, my, uh, my older brother, two and a half years older than me, um, he's a, was and is a do the right thing type of person. And he was, you know, a big man on campus kind of person. So I always looked up to him. My folks, my father had his own business. A, uh, he had retail boating supply stores. I remember him coming home at night. Um, sitting in the living room, splicing rope for anchors and just working hard, doing what you have to do to succeed. Failure is not an option. So yeah. um, the, that and just sports in general teaches you to that you can't fake it, that you're going to win if you put in the effort. So um, I guess my family, um, and coaches. Ruthie, uh, did your mother work? No, uh, I grew up in a very um, traditional type of household. Yes. So my mom took care of the family um, and the most loving, generous person 
and I've ever met, and a lot of people would say the same thing. Yeah. All right. And so why I like asking these kind of questions is that we've already, we've been talking for three minutes or so, we've already identified so much about you, right? That your hard work, uh, your quietness as a leader, your passion, your competitiveness, plus your generosity, we're seeing exactly where that came from. Probably your entrepreneurial spirit, correct me if I'm wrong, would probably come from your father. You saw that he had his own boat supply business and was doing hard work. And that's what you did um, yes. with your mother and the relationship with your father, the examples that your brother said. I mean, we have learned just so much about you already. So when you finished high school and you went to, to university, Syracuse? Syracuse. Yes. What did you study? I was a history major only because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And uh, I still today have a tremendous passion for history. Can't get enough of it. Um, I travel to sites around the world, constantly reading, watching documentaries. I love history. Yeah. And when you decided to start your own business, were you passionate about marketing? Were you passionate about the luxury travel element. Can you just share with us, like, how did that come about? You finished with, uh, you finished school, you had a history degree, I'm assuming. And had no idea what I wanted to do when I got out of college. Okay. History. And um, I went into advertising, uh, Ogilvy and Mather in New York, which at the time was probably the number one agency in the world. I was fortunate enough to get a job there. Um, great experience working on American Express, TWA, Kodak, Nestle, um, then went to another agency just for opportunity, McCann Erickson, um, worked on some high profile accounts there. And at the time I was also realizing I don't like working for other people. I want to have my own business, entrepreneurial, uh, which would give me flexibility of schedule and pride in putting in a tremendous effort and knowing that I'm getting a great return on it, um, that I was benefiting. And maybe that's selfish. I think, you know, if you're working for a corporation, you should also have that attitude, but I didn't. Yeah, so I wanted to hmm. yeah and, and Richie, what I love is that going back to the example of you even in high school, you knew you could outwork the next person. Whether mano mano, right? Against one racer, against one wrestler, against one one-on-one -on -one basketball player, you knew you could outwork. So yeah. why wouldn't you be able to benefit by the amount of effort that you're putting in? And I guess you saw the entrepreneurial world as being the best way to be able to parlay the results of your hard work. One of my mantras is, why not me? And I think that's a great fit for most people don't. Why not me? Why can't I be the best wrestler? Why can't I start my own company? That someone else is going to start a new marketing company. Why not me? Yes. And then you just make sure you do what you have to do to succeed. Yeah. And was it because uh, I know you've had your, your company for several years and it has grown and transpired into other things. Were you immediately successful when you started your company? I did some, uh, was I immediately successful? I guess so. Um, so 
I had this concept of, and this is 1993, I had this concept of wouldn't, I was into boating and again, grew up in a boating family. Um, so it just dawned on me, wouldn't boaters like to get a premium high-end mailing, again, this is 1993, um, exclusively boat products and boat build manufacturers. And it was just a, a concept. I remember I was actually um, on a bike at the gym and the morphins and morphins are, are going and the idea came to me yeah. and I jumped off the bike and said to my girlfriend at the time, I just had this great idea and put together a business plan, did research. And um, two years later launched what was called treasure chest at the time. And um, I remember calling my very first call was to General Motors. And again, 19, well, 1992, I'm soliciting advertising and call information. I'd like the phone number for General Motors, please. Hi, can I have your marketing department, please? And then and it was easier to get through at the time and somebody answers the phone and I said to him, hi, this is Richie Shane. And then I realized this Richie thing isn't going to work if I'm trying to solicit business. So in the business world, I'm Richard, but friends know me as Richie. And I wouldn't take no. Um, so was I successful? Depends on how you would look at success when you're launching a business. I was able to make enough money to follow my plan, to get this out. Um, and it, the company started out doing direct mail for just for power boat owners. <clears throat> the circulation was maybe 50,000 nationally. And then a couple of years later, we added sailing. A couple of years later, we did another category for skiing. And then about 10 years after I initially launched the company, we merge those databases together and became the world's greatest vacations, uh, a larger universe. So we went from initially a database of 50,000 to where we are today of over a million. And my clients are cruise lines, resorts, tour operators. It's exclusively for vacation travelers and, and vacation travel suppliers. And um, we now also, in addition to the million plus mailing twice a year, every week, a million digital impressions for each of my clients um, through various channels. And um, we guarantee our advertisers that we're, we will surpass their goals. If we fail, don't pay me. Accountability yeah. is I think everybody should have accountability. If you go to a restaurant and the meal stinks, they shouldn't yeah. charge you. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and Richie, what I love about some of the statement in your story, the confidence that you had to essentially make a cold call to General Motors, that's what you did. And there was a, another woman who, uh, there was a woman on my podcast 
who cold called the White House and she was able to get their, I think it was, um, gosh, it's the chief usher of the White House. But she cold called the White House and just happened to say, I look, I, I understand she was a general manager in the hotel, understood that they need someone to manage the residents of the White House, and she cold called the White House. You cold called General Motors. So that took guts. Tell me about the confidence. Were you confident? And I, I love the, the statement of why not me? Were you confident when you were making those calls? I knew if I made enough calls and if I, I, I believed in my product and myself, okay. and if I was able to get the individual to listen, that they would, in my opinion, be interested. And again, it comes back to accountability. If I say to the guy, look, if you don't get the results that you need, I won't send you a bill. How can they not? And, you know, there's a little bit of naive naivety in that, you know, how can they not? Well, they can. Um, but passion, and again, that for me, it was also a fear of failure. If I, I don't want to lose, comes back to that competitive spirit. Yeah. Um, and at some point, I want to touch on the additional challenge that I had yeah. in starting this. And yeah, you know, yeah, no, would would love to hear uh, about that now. And so far, we we have learned so much about you: accountability, passion, leader competitiveness and why not me and why not me and i look whenever i chat with our special guests on the podcast i always look for a line or two that is going to allow the title and right now richie it is why not me brilliant can you share more of the story that you were going to share now sure and another mantra is going to be earn it and you'll hear why yes so yeah while I was making those calls to General Motors and so on, um, every now and then I ended up hanging up on a person without realizing it. Um, at 22, I started having seizures. Um, my first seizure, uh, I just graduated college. I was on the phone with my father and all of a sudden I'm moaning going, and, and lost consciousness awareness so i'm not sure how long it lasted but probably 30 seconds or a minute or maybe more um <clears throat> i went from one seizure every three weeks or so to ultimately 20 seizures every month um i had no idea what epilepsy was i think i had heard something about it in health class once but um I, after having a couple of seizures, went to my GP. He sent me to a neurologist who sent me to a hospital in Virginia for two weeks of inpatient testing to confirm that it actually was epilepsy. And um, that was the beginning of my journey. So uh, that happened while I was in working in advertising before I started my company, but each year I got 
worse. Epilepsy, 70% of the people can have their seizures controlled with medicine. I fit into that 30% category, but it took many years to find out that no medicine could control my seizures. Um, during that time period, I was on about eight different meds, including experiment, experimental drugs, which weren't available here in the States. We would have them flown in from Canada or wherever. I would have daily blood tests to make sure that there wasn't some adverse effect. Um, and while this was happening, um, my seizure frequency and intensity were increasing, um, but I was working. Um, I certainly couldn't drive, couldn't drink. Um, and one of the biggest challenges, which I didn't realize at the time, but in retrospect, <clears throat> the seizures are only part of the problem. My, you're, when you have a lot of seizures, as I did, epilepsy will affect your cognitive skills. So your ability to focus, your memory, uh, it can cause depression. Um, things like that. But somebody has, to, I'm, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose. So uh, my attitude is, well, everybody's got something. For me, it's this. And if I, I just have to work a little harder. So I probably worked 15, 20% harder, I'm guessing, than if I didn't have epilepsy. But so be it. And what I also learned is the way that you serve it up, and I think this is true for almost anything, the way that you serve it up is the way other people will take it. So for example, I would be on a first date and the woman would order a drink and I'd order a soda. And she would say to me, oh, you don't drink? And I would answer very matter-of-factly, no, nope, I have epilepsy and um, drinking may get in the way with the meds and makes me tired and could cause a seizure. Um, and then moved on. And if she has a problem with it, then I don't wanna be with that person. Um, so I never let, let it get in my way personally or professionally. Um, and so, I think where, where to bring it from here. Um, so I had 20, for 22 years, over 2000 seizures, 20 every month. Um, it, when you, when we met, it was very fortuitous. And I do agree that there was, uh, it was directed to happen by somebody. Um, I was celebrating in Aspen my 18th anniversary of um, I had three inches of my brain removed at NYU hospital. And since then, I've had no seizures, no side effects. I am 100% cured, um, bona fide medical miracle. Um, so 10% of the people with epilepsy are candidates for brain surgery. To be a candidate has to be a safe place in the brain to get at. Um, to determine that, it takes two weeks of inpatient testing. Um, I remember when my neurologist said to me that he was recommending I have brain surgery. And I remember thinking, 
no way. I can't have brain surgery. I'm not that smart. They're not taking anything out. And he said to me, it's in no medicine is going to control my seizures. It's in the emotional portion of my brain. They're going to become more severe. And because of the location, going to change who I am. And that I had a 10% chance of dying from epilepsy. Epilepsy kills more people, believe it or not, than breast cancer each year. Yeah. Um, and John Travolta's kid is an example. Uh, Margot Hemingway is an example. A couple of friends of mine are examples. So I remember I left his office and I said to my girlfriend at the time in the waiting room, I said, I'm going to have to do this. I have to have brain surgery. It's which stinks less, brain surgery or epilepsy. Yeah. So I bit the bullet. Two weeks of inpatient testing where they do an EEG for that entire time to get a reading of where the abnormal activity is coming from in the brain. Um, and then test to see, can we remove it safely? And one of the tests they do, for example, it's called a WADA test, where they insert a catheter through your groin and freeze one side of the brain, ask you a series of questions, and then freeze the other side of the brain. And that's how one way they're able to determine if they remove this portion to the other hemisphere, compensate. I qualified. Um, and then it was actually two surgeries. The first surgery, they um, remove a portion of my skull and put a series of electrodes within my brain, close me up, wait until I have um, severe seizures so that they can see, pinpoint even further where the activity is coming from. Um, so I was in the hospital a week with the wires in my brain. And I remember looking outside and thinking, I can't believe this is happening to me. I'm Richie Shane. I have wires in my brain going through brain surgery. Then I realized I was being selfish. Why not me? Again, why not yeah, me? Yeah, why not me? Again, I was looking to see if you were gonna bring that up again and not feeling bad for yourself, but maybe you started to, and then you, you brought up why not me? Well, I still felt bad for myself, but yes. I rationalized it. Why not me? First, I was thinking, that's pretty freaking selfish. Mm -hmm. Then I realized me because I can show people how to handle brain surgery. I'm strong. I can show them. I remember thinking I wouldn't want my brothers going through this. Yes. I am glad if it had to be someone, that's me because I believe I'm strong. And yeah. then it's me because I can help people with this experience that I'm going through. Yes. And there was no guarantee about the outcome of the surgery, but that was my attitude at the time. Yeah. So um, a week after the electrodes were put in, I, uh, they got the readings that they needed. I gave, I gave them some significant, what's called generalized seizures, which are full out convulsions. And I had three consecutive ones, which, and you're completely unconscious. I wasn't aware of it. I was told afterwards. And 
that's called status epileptus, which could be fatal when you have constant ongoing seizures. I was brought back into the OR for each surgery was over 12 hours. So for another round, and I had um, three inches of my brain removed. And thank God, since then, no seizures, no side effects, never felt better. So when I asked you to take my picture, yeah. it happened to have been the 18th anniversary. And I make a point of celebrating. I try to celebrate every day, but certainly on that 18th anniversary. If I don't recognize it and appreciate it, it's a waste on me. Yeah. And, no, in, in, I mean, how amazing is that, that you are, first of all, unselfish enough to think if this had to happen to anyone, it's okay that it's happening to me because you are strong enough and you're resilient enough and you're flexible enough to be able to handle these things. That is such a wonderful statement. During the time, the, 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 the 20, from 22 years on with the 3000 uh, seizures, how were you able to handle that and stay positive? Because, you know, I could not imagine that. And I'm so glad that you are well and healthy and strong. How were you able to handle the years of 3,000 seizures? Um, a little bit of denial. Um, and it's a choice. Who's going to win? Mm -hmm. It's true, for I think, for anything. Um, I wasn't going to allow... This is all we've got this one time. Yeah. So I wasn't going to allow this thing to beat me. Um, so I tried the best that I can to ignore it. And living in New York City makes it easier because you don't need to drive here. You know, I was driving, I had my license taken away and I had a car um, all taken away from me. But, you know, and, when I would go to my family had a house in the Hamptons and, you know, I wouldn't be able to drive, but I had people who were aware of my situation and they covered me. My parents, I remember vividly one night when I was first diagnosed, I was, I couldn't drive and I was at a club and it was maybe two o'clock in the morning and my ride had left and I couldn't get a ride. Um, I had to call my parents. And uh, so it's you know, two o'clock in the morning. Uh, this 22 year old kid is waking up his folks. Sorry guys, um, I can't get a ride. No problem, Richie, we'll be right there. And at 2.30, <laughs> not just my father, but my mother as well arrived to pick me up um, they never complained. They both came to show that it wasn't a big deal. And also because how much they love each other. One didn't want the other, you know, they fought with each other. I'll go. No, you stay in bed. I'll go. Yes. Both came. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, what, and talk about a symbolic gesture. And Richie, when I'm interviewing my guests, I am taking notes. And that just gave me goosebumps. 
that they wanted to show you that they were not only resources, but they support supported oh, you and loved you. And they both came like, Richie, this is no big deal. Like we both came, right? It's, it's not an inconvenience on us. So they never ever complained. They never let yeah. me feel bad about it. So yeah, support and my brothers as well. Yes. So support yeah. system is important. And that's something, two things I'll tell a parent. And I, I'll jump around a little bit. Yes. So yeah. two things, I'll, when I meet a parent of a child with epilepsy, the first thing I will tell that parent, and I can't get it out quick enough, is please know, I've had 3,000 of the seizures, please know your child feels no pain, feels no discomfort when he or she is having a seizure. Um, I, you know, so yeah, and I say to them, yeah. you being a loving, good, great parent, that's the best medicine that you can give somebody with epilepsy. What, what, a, what a statement. Um, and I, I will get to the, the foundation that you have started here in a moment. But I do also want to ask you, were you after, so 18 years, again, seizure free, did it change your, your thought process? Did it change your passion? Did it change? I know you had said before that there was a a thought that removing part of your brain would change who you are kind of a thing. But I know when people go through traumatic experiences and focus on getting better, can you tell us how did it change you for the better as a person? In a huge way. I don't know if you remember the movie, Saving Private Ryan. Um, I actually met Steven Spielberg a couple of years ago, um, and it was appropriate to share with him my experience at the, at the time. I told him about it, and I said to him, Steven, the last line of Saving Private Ryan is my mantra. And he said to me, earn it. You may recall in the movie, Tom Hanks was, and his, he and his men went out to save Private Ryan in World War II because his brothers had all been killed and he was the last son. And Hanks and his men all end up dying, saving Ryan. And as Tom Hanks is, he was shot, he's saying to Ryan, earn it, meaning earn the blessing that you've been given by us dying to save you. And as I said to Spielberg, I feel that I have to earn the blessing. And he said to me, I think you have. Um, so why did I get cured when almost nobody else gets cured? Why? Well, I have to earn that blessing. So I, and this is how I say thank you, not just to the doctors who helped me today, but the generations of people who did the research, who donated the money for the research. How do I thank them? By leading the best life that I could lead and helping as many people as I can. And that's my greatest passion is earning the blessing. Amazing. And, and can you share a little bit about FACES, the foundation that you started? Sure. Because it's well, right, tremendous. And when you're talking about earning the blessing, so you're not only giving back 
but you are remaining fit, you know, running eight marathons in New York City and Jerusalem, raising money uh, and awareness of the disorder, starting faces. So can you kind okay, of summarize? So I, let me correct you here, Mark. I yes, didn't please. start faces. I okay. am uh, one of the major ambassador. I'm an ambassador for it. Excellent. The, the charity was started years ago by my epileptologist, my neurologist, Oren Davinsky, who I love him, um, and my surgeon, Dr. Doyle. Dr. Doyle, when I was going in for my surgery at 6 a.m., I'm in the OR, and I see several people standing around the table, and I lay down, and I grab Dr. Doyle's hand, and I say, Dr. Doyle, please take good care of me. And he says, we have the best group of professionals in the world in this room. We're going to do the best that they, we can. And please, you have to let go of my hand now. I need to go to work. <laughs> That's how connected, touched I was by him. Yeah. Um, so FACES is an acronym for finding a cure for epilepsy and seizures. Mm. We are the largest epilepsy charity in the world. We raise an hour annual gala um, in one night, we raise typically over $5 million in one evening. Um, the love in that room is unlike anything. Um, I brought with me a few years ago, Jane Seymour to the event. And as we were walking around, she says to me, Richie, I've been to events all over the world and the Academy Awards and so on. I've never seen so much love in a room as there is here. Um, and why is there so much love and support for the epilepsy community? I think it's it's tough on parents and loved ones when they see an individual having a seizure and going through convulsions. And uh, you wanna do everything you can to help us. Um, yeah, so after I became cured, um, we were given a spot for the New York City Marathon years ago, and uh, my charity was. And I said, I'm, I want this spot. I feel a responsibility. So um, yeah, I, and I haven't stopped running since. It's a long marathon. No, I've been running. Uh, this year will be my ninth New York Marathon. Um, and yes, uh, and I run to raise awareness and funds for epilepsy. And I also do run um, six months, not even, uh, two months ago, I did uh, Tel Aviv. Um, a few years before that, I did Jerusalem. Um, I ran a half in uh, Palm Beach last year. And actually the one I'm really excited for is June 5th, I'm running Normandy, France. Oh my gosh, wow, wow. So yeah. many, so many great things. So uh, as we're talking about faces, finding a cure for epilepsy and seizures, um, tell me, uh, Richie, I just tried to Google it. So faces.med.nyu.edu. I know there's some great information about faces. Is there a different website that you would recommend or is that a good one for people to I start? I think the, way to, the quickest way to get there would be yeah. nyu.edu. Faces.org. Okay. NYU Faces 
www.ghostbusters.org. Awesome. Um, and sure, people can learn a lot about that. And by the way, of course, anybody listening to this, yeah. if epilepsy is important in your world for whatever reason, you're having challenges, people can reach out to me. Um, I am, I would love to help them. And um, there, I was, I was profiled on the news years ago as being this medical miracle and the New York Press Club awarded it the year's most inspirational story. Um, people could find that on YouTube by um, typing in my name, uh, Richard Shane, S-H-A-N-E, and the words, you control epilepsy. Um, it's on YouTube and they can learn a lot about my journey and epilepsy there as well. Yeah, awesome. I mean, what an incredible story, Richie. Thank you so much for sharing. I do have one last question and we could go on and on, but you know, the things about you, your resiliency, your why not me attitude, your working hard, your competitiveness, your passion. I just want to bring it back to today. And before we hit record, you were sharing with me a little bit about the world's greatest vacations, which is just such when you when you talk about most people don't, but you do. Richie, you are definitely taking that approach with the world's greatest vacations. Could you just offer a little summary about what that what your company is doing now and how they are different than anything else that's out there right now? Thanks, Bart. So yes, we're unique. The world's greatest vacations is unique for a few reasons. One is when I started the company in 93, the response rate for direct mail was one half of 1%. Today, the response rate for direct, direct mail, the median response rate, independent research, 9%. The reason being, you don't get much mail anymore. So when you do, it jumps out and it's easier to respond. You can see something you like and go to that company's website. Um, and we complement that with the synergy of a million digital impressions every week for each of my advertisers. So they're hitting this highly targeted active vacation traveler who has contacted us saying, we want to receive information on luxury travel. And now these high profile companies are reaching them through the most impactful medium, direct mail, and multiple channels every week for seven months. So that's, and you know what's interesting, Bart, in the context of all of this is yeah. before my surgery, I had a lot of trouble focusing. I still have some trouble focusing, but not as much. Um, with the amount of seizure activity I had, it affects your cognition and uh, sometimes it'll get better. It's gotten a little bit better, but it's still not what I would have had had I never had epilepsy. So, but it is better. And I didn't bring in an internet component into my business until um, after I was cured because I was having difficulty multitasking, focusing. And thank God, now that I'm cured, my business has taken off in a much bigger way. Um, so the business is now 
30 years old. So clearly I started it in junior high school. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we beat the pandemic. You know, luxury travel during the pandemic wasn't going to do much business. Um, but we're back and we have a great, our partners, clients have retained us and uh, we're back right now and it's very exciting. I just think, I love the approach because you were doing something that other companies are not doing. You know, you, you continue to embrace direct mail and you're right. You know, anytime I get something in the mail, usually it's, it's good news. And if it's something that is colorful and talking about where I can plan a trip, I'm going to open it up in a heartbeat. So I just love that that is a unique approach because everyone is doing direct mail, uh, email marketing right now. I, I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of companies are doing email marketing. And, you know, I have this and you'll laugh at this, but my email system identifies junk and it puts it into quarantine. And when I look at the emails that are in quarantine and I look at the subject lines, maybe one out of 50 has a subject line that is interesting enough for me to click release it. It's safe. I want to look at it. Everything else I'm leaving in quarantine and I'll delete. That is such the opposite of getting something, a mailer in the mail that is beautiful, interesting, and allows me to think about planning something that's going to be fun. I, I just give you so much uh, incredible credit for that business model. And then one other thing that you shared with me, uh, a lot of sales individuals, we have meeting planners, we have industry professionals, we have cruise line professionals, executive directors. You had shared a little bit about something else that I think is unique from a business perspective about guarantee um, mm -hmm. and your passion for the guarantee. Can you just, and we'll end with, with that because again, I think that is something that most CEOs and founders don't offer and it's very special, Richie. Do you mind sharing? Sure. And I believe this should hold true for all businesses and services. So we offer a guarantee. We say to a company, look, what's your goal? They'll tell it to me. And mm -hmm. if we can claim that we're going to beat it, I'll tell them that. And I'll also say, look, if we don't surpass that goal, I won't bill you. Accountability accountability and that should be across the board in any business any experience if you don't get what you've been promised don't pay and yeah. fortunately we always deliver and i always get paid but and, and then I, even even richie that accountability message and i've typed up probably four times since we've been talking it's not only applicable for what you represent with the world's greatest vacations in business but you also had referenced accountability because you are the medical miracle that you have been able to overcome this situation, that you are seizure free, you are holding yourself accountable. That's exactly you continue right. to share the message, share hope, share positivity, share solutions, and help to raise money through faces to make sure that you're helping others. And that in is this instance, this is where I would say, why me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to do all of that. Yes. You're going to do all of that with your competitiveness and your discipline and your passion. Um, what an honor 
uh, Richie, again, so grateful for meeting you. Thank you for what you're doing to help others. You're not only inspiring people to travel more, which is such, such a great thing for our economy, but you are also setting the example for people that are that have challenges that need to figure out ways of being able to overcome things. Um, so, so grateful. I'm going to share your website, theworldsgreatestvacations.com. Phenomenal information. Um, I know, you know, any of our suppliers, any of our luxury destinations, uh, cruise lines, hotels, resorts that maybe are not working with you can certainly find how to contact you through the world's greatest vacations. Um, and you are listed on LinkedIn as Richard Shane, S-H-A-N-E. Any last thoughts? Again, so grateful. Well, thanks, Bart. Again, it's somebody has to win. Why not me? If you want it, go and get it. It's 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 there. You know, so make it happen and smell those roses along the way. Well, again, Richie, you have been a great inspiration for our listeners and for me. So, so very grateful. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Bart, thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs>